Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Our radio. You. Soldier Boy Tell. Hey, I got this new damn for y'all called a Soldier Boy. Just got a punch, then crank back three times from left to right. in the neighborhood FM 100.3 KFAM. We have a preseason football game this weekend. It's the Minnesota Vikings and the Las Vegas Raiders to kick off the preseason. And uh, one of my, and should be our, very favorite football minds has been nice enough to uh, to join us in studio, the 651 Carpet Studios. Uh, he is Arif Hassan, and uh, writes about the Vikings in very analytical fashion for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com, at Arif Hassan NFL via Twitter, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A. N NFL. I got it right this time. Didn't Nailed I? it. Uh, Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL. And um, I was chatting with uh, Arif at practice a little bit yesterday. We're just chatting about football as we're wont to do. And he said something that for everybody listening would have raised their eyebrows. <laughs> for me, it was eyebrow raising. And it involves this guy. Kirk with a straight drop. He'll throw to the end zone. Caught. It is caught by K.J. Osborne. A 20-yard touchdown reception by young KJ. He has seven this season, and the Minnesota Vikings have taken a 23-17 lead. KJ and uh, Adam Thielen, what, what did you tell me yesterday? I said that there was a chance. I didn't say it was likely, uh-huh. but I said that there was a chance that KJ Osborne could outproduce, at least in yards, Adam Thielen this year, just based off of how everyone's being used in camp, the matchups that you see in the slot, the kind of role that they envision for G.J. Osborne, how often he's going to see the field, and how well he's performing. The the leap from year one to year two was magnificent for G.J. Osborne. I think the leap from year two to year three, maybe not equally as magnificent. I mean, that was a pretty big leap, but it is going to be, I think, um, a pretty meteoric rise for him. Oh, my gosh. Adam Thielen, Detroit Lakes. Man, I mean, this this is a habit state. So I mean, when when a it's not <laughs> it's not a I'm not saying that you know it's like all time prized child who right. you you know Joe Maurer esque or Ken Herbeck esque you know who like it, it's it's the deduction is there the unpredictability is absolutely there with not mm-hmm. exactly knowing what's coming where well we can slot JJ in for this and slot Dalvin in for this and O'Neill for this. Um, and and I like the um, I like the enterprising nature of it, uh, and where you can teach us slash me because you've watched a, a lot of this, and I slash us have not. The slot for the Rams, okay? Now, like like you you know this, you're an elite football mind. It is is position flexibility mm-hmm. was very important for the previous regime. In other words, Diggs, Jefferson, Thielen. Uh, they can play all the spots, right. X, Y, Z, uh, in uh, slot, left and right, the whole thing. Um, so for the Rams, 
KJ's role and or his spot, like what would lead you to believe maybe from what you've seen from Rams all 22 to what you're seeing now with the Vikings uh, to, to say that KJ may have more receiving yards than Adam, because I mean, that, that would, that's not going to come from anybody else anywhere. Just looking at past performances of their careers you know, but you're not a prisoner of the moment, so therefore you're not. You know, th- this is a this is a proclamation. I know you genuinely believe. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely in the cards, and part of that, like you said, has to do with the role. I mean, who was the most productive receiver in the NFL last year? It was Cooper Cup, yes, right? Sir. Where did he get most of those yards? It was in the slot. Okay. Uh, now, obviously, there's been a lot of comparisons this year between Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup and the role that they might play um, with each other, and I think that that's fair, especially in terms of talent and the types of routes that you want Justin Jefferson to run the depth at which he's going to run the routes and how other people are going to enable him with yards after the catch in many ways that Cooper Cup was enabled with yards after the catch, really good blocking from the Rams receivers. But a lot of the stuff that Cooper Cup did is not going to be what Justin Jefferson does. Again, that's not a talent thing. That's just kind of what you expect the role to be. And that's because Cooper Cup was in the slot in the thick of it, right? If you're asking your receiver to go up against linebackers and block them, you're going to have to ask somebody who's going to be durable at that, who has the body type for that, and is somebody you're comfortable doing that with. And K.J. Osborne is somebody that the Vikings have trusted to block the biggest guys at the second level, to block giant safeties, to block big linebackers. And Osborne relishes it. I don't know if you saw his presser a couple of days ago, but this is something that he genuinely enjoys doing. It's something that we're going to continue to see him do. And because this offense gives the quarterback the flexibility to get in and out of certain plays, you're going to want a slot receiver that can both you know, catch 15 yards down the field or block that linebacker or even chip down on a defensive end um, no matter what when they're on the field so that the quarterback can trust that they'll be able to do both, right? Now, obviously, there's still position flexibility, especially when you've got a motion-heavy offense. Thielen's going to be running from one side of the field to the other. They're going to stick him in the slot every so often. He's a really good blocker. We know that. So, obviously, that opportunity will be there, but I think the starting point for a lot of this is going to be, you know, Thielen on the outside, Jefferson on the outside, and Osborne on the inside. And that gives you really good matchups against slot receiver or slot corners that just aren't as capable. We know that Osborne is fast. I think he's actually faster now than he was in college. And we know that he's got the ability to beat smaller corners off of press coverage. We know that he's got the ability to beat bigger corners with his quickness. So there's a lot of matchup opportunities there for the kind of players that you'll see. There's a lot of opportunities to put them on the field. And if they see a favorable look, Kirk will go into that favorable look. And a lot of times that mismatch will occur in the slot, especially after having lost, uh, you know, Irv Smith in camp. Obviously, he's going to be ready for the regular season. But those reps are going to be invaluable as they kind of continue to figure out what that offense is going to look like. Brilliant. Hardcore football. With KJ last year in the seven TDs and, and you know, the, the, the big game against Arizona, granted, blown coverage, second play of the game. Uh, but, you know, then we couldn't find KJ for the balance of the game. And that's kind of the common thread here is he splashes, then you can't find him with a searchlight, and then there he is in the biggest moments again, uh, uh, traipsing down the field before Joseph missed the kick. But, you know, I, I don't have it in front of me now. K.J. would have cold-blooded games and or moments, but then it would go game after game after game with either like zero receptions mm-hmm. yeah. or one, and and then he would have like 100 and change or 90-something and maybe a touchdown. I just couldn't get a, a hold on that last year. Why? Why do you think the consistency was was uh, was in and out with KJ last year? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think, is just uh, how often the offense would take him off the field. 
for entirely legitimate reasons at times. It's just kind of the look you get. But it's a two-receiver offense. What two receivers are you going to put out there, yep. right? So that's part of it is that he's just not going to see the field nearly as often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also part of it is that he is still finding his bearings in terms of getting his timing right, in terms of making sure that he's creating windows for Kirk to throw into, uh, and, and and making sure that when he's open, uh, it, it looks like a good target. Because when you're wide open, it's easy for a quarterback to decide, hey, that's a pretty good target for me to throw at. But when you're marginally open, the quarterback has to know where to throw for you to be able to catch that ball. Some yeah. co- some receivers like having the ball at eye level. Some receivers like it having it the numbers. It's just different for every receiver. And just knowing where that receiver wants the ball or what their capabilities are to win a contested catch, you know, those kinds of things, it would make a quarterback that's a little bit less familiar maybe decline that receiver in the progression and move on to their next receiver. And if that next receiver, you know, happens to be Dalvin Cook, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes sense that in some games where maybe they had a better matchup against Osborne or maybe – uh, they didn't put Osborne as much on the field. That you didn't really see that many receiving yards available for him. Plus, I mean, even really great receivers sometimes uh, they'll just have games where where you'll have some duds. And so when you go down the list of from elite to great to good to pretty good, uh, you're going to have a wider variance in just kind of how much somebody produces. I mean, uh, you remember um, the fourth round receiver from Arkansas that that uh, that the Vikings Childs Jarius Wright. Oh, Jarius Wright. Yeah, yeah. There were multiple right. <laughs> receivers from Arkansas. Jarius Wright. I mean, the Vikings loved him, and rightly so, and he was a fantastic receiver for the Vikings, but he did the same thing, right? Yeah. Where sometimes you just have games where he wouldn't do anything, and then sometimes he'll win a game against the Jets. Yeah. Well, the, the, the reason I brought that up is because it's like the, the, the Vikings offense was not bad last year. I mean, right. they, they specifically, the final eight, six, four minutes of games, you know, the, the quarterback, Cousins, for my money, in, in late in fourth quarters when he had to cover up other messes that were made by other situations in the game, he would go lights out. And, and like that Arizona game or the Carolina game and so on. Um, but there would be long patches in games where you wouldn't see JJ. Like at Baltimore, man, 50 yard yeah, touchdown early. Yeah. And then it's like an hour and a half of real time. And, you know, you could tell he's getting frustrated. So hopefully that gets tightened this year. And defensively speaking, uh, with Arif Hassan, the athletic, the athletic.com. Uh, how would you qualify Cam Dantzler's battle? with rookie Andrew Booth Jr. for the right to start against Rodgers week one. Is it a vicious battle, tightly contested? What do you think? I think it's actually tightly contested. And going into camp, I wouldn't have expected that. I would have expected Same. Booth to just kind of win it out. right? Um, but but Dancer's done really well. He's even showed up occasionally against Justin Jefferson, although his best reps have been against, uh, at least against first-team receivers, against Adam Thielen, actually. He's done a really good job, you know, closing down to the ball, getting past deflections. He's gotten a couple of interceptions, not just one. He forced mm-hmm. a fumble uh, in some situational drills. I mean, he's shown up. I mean, every so often, um, there's a story that comes out that Cameron Dancer is looking to get bigger, right? Because, you know, he comes out of college 180 pounds soaking wet. It's it's an untenable situation. Uh, you know, the previous regime thought, hey, maybe this is going to be a reason why his his injury concerns are going to crop up. But he had difficulty putting on good weight that allowed him to remain fast, be physical, and be an effective corner while also preventing injury. That All of that at once was really difficult for him. Whatever happened this offseason for him to be able to add weight while still being an effective corner, being quick and fast, that's all there. Now we're kind of seeing the corner that the Vikings intended to draft, somebody who hits hard, somebody who's got really good instincts, really good eyes. Um you know, somebody that ran closer to the four three eight he's purported to run yeah. rather than the, the four six that he ran at the combine. So that um that all together, that package plus cornerback is is, you know, maybe the difficult position to learn on the defense. You know, that whole package coming together in his third year is is giving us a cornerback that has the ability to contest against some really good receivers. And when he's not up against 
you know, Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson. He's winning a ton of reps. That's not exactly true for Andrew Booth. Now, I anticipate even by the end of the year, Booth is going to be a better corner. And certainly, I think career-wise, that's what I expect if Booth remains healthy. Um, but I think right now, Dancer is doing a little bit better in camp. Booth's highlights are a little bit, you know, more interesting. You know, the, the interceptions he's had have, you know, opportunities for pick six. You know, the, the big circus catches are that we saw in college are there in camp. But play to play from a consistency perspective, which is the name of the game as a corner, uh, I think Dancer has done a little bit better so far. So it's a really close competition. Okay, so if you're Aaron Rodgers and you are now a month and a small change from the season mm-hmm. opener, and and you 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 start to look at this stuff. If you're an HOF like him, you probably started when the schedule came right. out. Yeah, and and then they draft, and it's like okay, the three time all uh, all all academic uh, in the ACC, Andrew Booth Jr. That's cool, man, but it's not a spelling bee. And then when you're watching Dantzler, you're seeing one thing that happened two times that I just can't get past, and it's the lack of ability when it is at its hottest yeah. to handle pressure. Be, uh, and and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, well, there's one, but, you know, the year before, D.K. Metcalf. Yeah. And it's just like it. that just some people just can't get through that where they can, they can get you from A right to near the end of the alphabet, but Z is the money play. And then they freak, and then you lose the game. So I just, you know, I wonder if that has improved with Cam because Rodgers is looking at one guy going, okay, we hear you've gotten better, but you can't handle pressure. And then the other guy, well, you're a rookie, and, and I salivate over moments right. like this early in the season. What do you think of all that? Yeah, I mean, Rodgers is known to target cornerbacks. We've seen it time and again where it's less about the progression of the play and the matchup that he sees. That's the kind of quarterback that he is, that he'll target cornerbacks. Vikings fans are very familiar with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, that, that 2020 game with no fans was one of, if you're a Vikings fan, it's one of the most miserable experiences yes. ever where you got, you got Gladney, you got Dantzler, these new corners and a Raj and no fans to mess with the offense. Yeah. I mean, that was an advantage for Rogers because he was able to fall start on in away games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that or, or right. encourage offsides on away games, right? Really great stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think that that is a concern. I asked Patrick Peterson about this. You know, what what is different about Cameron Dancer from an attitude perspective, from a pressure perspective? And and Peterson said, I mean, ultimately Peterson says you can't really know until games start. I mean, he's a veteran; he knows. But he thinks that that Dancer's confidence has has gone through the roof. That we're seeing that in his his play to play preparation. Um, he's situationally much more aware, which is kind of the the key words I was hoping to pick up on yep. in Peterson's response. And and that's exactly what he said. Right? Is that is that Dancer is much more aware of what he needs to do from situation to situation. That he knows exactly exactly kind of where the sticks are he knows exactly kind of hey this is a red zone drill you know i've got this behind me i've got this in front of me i know exactly where my space needs to be hey this is a two-minute drill i can allow stuff on the inside but not on the outside you know that sort of stuff right and and i think that that helps again you're never going to know until you know the lights come on but uh that sort of thing where we're knowing that a cornerback is aware even in a practice situation what is allowable and what is not in terms of technique, what you need to tighten up on, what you need, can give a little bit of extra kind of laxness to, um, that tends to translate when you drill it again and again and again into high-pressure situations. I mean, that's how people in high-stress jobs train, right, is that they, yep. they practice again and again in situations so that when stress comes, it happens automatically. And so knowing that he's developed a situational awareness, you know, that helps. And again, we're not going to know until it happens, and 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 we're just going to have to – hold our breaths and, and hope that these camp reports play themselves out. Yep. But it very much seems like this is something that, you know, we've become aware of that maybe dancer has the ability to become, 
you know, much more comfortable in these situations. And remember, Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes, they weren't good corners until their third year. Now, a lot of that has to do with the way development occurs in the previous regime, but a lot of it is just that's how cornerbacks are. Yeah, very fairly stated. So you would bet Cam Dantzler starts week one against Green Bay? I would. I yeah. wouldn't be shocked if I was wrong, but that's right. my bet. Uh, the, the, this is Arif Hassan, another segment with him chatting Vikings football. Uh, he covers the Vikings and uh, writes about uh, football for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Uh, just another high-end football writer in The Athletic stable. I've talked about it before, from Dan Pompey to Mike Sando uh, to the work Arif does and so on. TheAthletic.com, at Arif Hassan NFL via Twitter. When we return, uh, I need his thoughts on Ty Chandler, who who is uh, eye-opening to me. Uh, the punt return situation, if if you want to win a spot on this team and you can return punts, then you will be on the 53. And also this Darisol leap they're talking about locally and nationally. Uh, let's get those opinions plus more from Marifa Hassan when we continue on your home for the Vikings. Fan. Meat sauce, Ben Lieber by their side, at least for part of it. Uh, they will be at TCO Stadium uh, with the Minnesota Vikings conducting the night practice this evening. I believe the, the practice uh, is scheduled to start 7.15-ish, and it'll run till 8.45 or 9. And uh, 6.30 to 8 from TCO Stadium. Make sure you listen to KFAN this evening. Uh, Nordo and uh, Meat Sauce carrying you through the night practice. And uh, speaking of the night practice, uh, leading up to the Raiders preseason game, which, uh, which is Sunday. It's, I, I, I led the show with this today, uh, simply because I started thinking about it yesterday when, when I saw you practice and, and I never get to Sunday practices because we're always racing at Canterbury, but we canceled racing yesterday. So I went out to practice and, you know, it, it's a, just a little more low key, not, not as many fans or whatever on the sideline. So you're just able to, to, to at least I am, navigate and operate and you know, try to start learning some things up to the 2022. And, and this, is, this is not background or not any kind of a take that anybody gave me. It's authentic, and I just don't know the legitimacy of it when I think of uh, Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and I do believe, and I asked you this question yesterday to help me formulate my opinion. It, it's, it's Kellen has gotten better, at least of what I'm seeing, to a certain extent, or or a modicum of improvement. It's not overwhelmingly there's been this conversion, this transformation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, he seems to be more calm. Would you agree with that? Yes. The robotic nature that is Kellen Mond is still there, but it's like somebody greased the wheels. <laughs> so yeah, when somebody that's, greased, that's a perfect way to put it because he's still a robotic quarterback. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Perfect. But I mean, with last year when you know he was learning the plays and 
and, you know, trying to, to figure out his lot in life. I mean, it, it either like anxiety met robotic nature and it was just a disaster mm-hmm. with all due respect. Sand the, in the gears. Yeah, correct. Sand in the gears. Well, now now we're greasing the wheels of this noisy, bad dream. And you're starting to, you're starting to see things churn a little more smoothly. Now, what I'm getting at here is with the three, four base for the first time in 40 years here, if that's the base or what you're going to do defensively. You're going to need more linebackers and defensive linemen than you probably have needed in the last X amount of years. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair. Okay. Well, I and I like Sean, okay? And 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 I was one on the radio who would defend I get this bit with Sean being the backup to Kirk even though Sean you know trying to win 3 games with Sean if Kirk goes down, which he never does, that's obviously going to be a problem. But the right-hand man to the lead vocalist, I understand that. I I get how he helps, specifically with a newbie at offensive coordinator, a firster, somebody who's green in Clint Kubiak. Well, now your head coach is a Super Bowl-winning offensive coordinator who played quarterback and came into the league with Belichick. With Wes, you got Wade and you got Bum, and it's been all of your life, and you just won a Super Bowl working as a pass game coordinator and tight ends. And your quarterback's coach, Chris O'Hara, also just won a Super Bowl. And they know what it took to get Stafford to the wire a winner through the whole thing. So I'm just wondering if the Mannion roster spot has, if it's needed anymore. You know, because you need, if if you're going to put three quarterbacks on the roster, I mean, I I don't think, if I'm them, I don't want to do that. Would you? I wouldn't, but if you take a look at the Rams' history, they have had three quarterbacks uh, on their roster for a little bit. We see that also in Washington back yep. when uh, McVay. So it is possible. Okay. Yep. Um, I did try to construct a roster uh, around the possibility of only having two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, that extra spot, it makes a world of difference when you're trying to construct a 53. It just, it's, it's massive. so much easier. For this group, too, with everything new, it's yeah. massive. Yeah. Uh, and so I, there's a lot of pressure, I think, from the rest of the roster to have a two quarterback system, especially as we'll talk about, you know, the running back situation. You're going to maybe have more running backs in the room than you're used to. Right. Right. And so uh, it would be uh, pretty difficult to keep three quarterbacks on the roster. I still think that Mannion is ahead of Mond here. Right. In terms of a roster spot and in terms of, you know, as a football player. Right. And, and those could be different things. Right. Because if you want Mont to develop, if you know Kirk is going to be, you know, a, a, a durable quarterback as he has been, uh, then it makes sense to maybe take a shot on the developmental guy. I am still concerned about the mistakes I'm seeing from Mond from play to play in camp. Right. I think that it's unquestionable that he's gotten a lot better. He's much smoother, as you said. Um, and the tempo problems that we were concerned with last year they're better, but they haven't gone away, and they've led to things like camp interceptions. They've led to incompletions. They've led to moments where he's leading receivers into defensive backs instead of away from defensive backs. You yeah. know, these are important. Mannion is not lighting the world on fire, nor does anyone expect him to, but he is doing a little bit of a better job in that in that regard. I think that no one would disagree that if uh, you know a game were tomorrow and, and Kirk was you know not available for whatever reason, you'd rather have Mannion out there than Mond. The question is that roster spot and whether or not that upside is worth it. I don't know that Mond has demonstrated that yet, even though that he has improved pretty substantially. So I am concerned about Mond. I think that um, there's a good chance you'll still have three quarterbacks on the roster, but I, I think in a two-quarterback situation, Mond's roster spot is a concern. Well, the, 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 the way I led it was beginning this – this is massive for Kellen. 
Yes. And you could say it was massive last year, but it was more massive for the fans because because he was taken in the third round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always because... Because cousins, expectation. Right. But Cousins had the audacity in 2018 to be the first in the history of the game to take a three-year guarantee contract. Habit state, a lot out there, never coming back. Weird plexiglass press conference into the uh, training camp last year. Well, that, you know, more even... Did the moonwalk there? Right, right. Yeah, but just just very fraudulent, though. It's like when he was helping everybody cash bets, looked like an MVP, and was winning, the, helping them win their fantasy leagues. Well, they loved him, and then he gets bit in Mannion plays, and they hate him again. But that's a conversation for another time. So if so, I I would bet Kellen plays a ton beginning this weekend yeah. and through these preseason games. If if they're not comfortable keeping three quarterbacks. Mannion is the right one to keep in their estimation. Would they cut Kellen Mond? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's you'd have to, right? If if you well, only if you have put to, him on the practice squad, he's going to get blocked, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't have a lot of options if you're only going to keep two quarterbacks, and you want to go into the rot, you want to go into the season with mm-hmm. somebody capable of of slotting into a game, and you know, to, to me, backups their job is not to win the game; it's to win an already won game. It's not it's to not lose a game, right? You're not expecting your backups to do. You know, Case Keenum level of heroics as sometimes backups are, are want to do. Mm-hmm. You just don't want like an Austin Davis to go back to the Rams history of quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, you you want somebody that if the game is won, if you're ahead by seven, you're not going to lose the game. And I don't know that that Mond is that guy. I, I'm going back to those three snaps against Green Bay. And again, he's a different quarterback now. But those three snaps against Green Bay, one of them should have been a pick six. Yep. Right. It, it is just concerning. And one issue that I've seen with Mond here in camp is also um, if you are getting him for upside. He needs to show that he has it, and I don't mean that from an accuracy perspective or or from uh, from a tempo perspective or anything like that. I want him to use his arm. He's such a checkdown artist right now. I mean, a lot of people will criticize Cousins for being a checkdown guy. Numbers don't bear that out. He's willing to throw deep even when it's not play action. You know, maybe you've got some gripes about situational football. That's fine. But he does. He is an aggressive quarterback, both in tight windows and deep downfield. Kellen Mond might challenge tight windows, but he does not challenge deep downfield there's a lot of checkdowns. i mean we're seeing a lot of good stuff from zach davidson some of that has to do with the fact that he's a tight end running shorter routes he's running with the twos a lot of the time and mond is checking down to him and ignoring a wide open amir smith marset mm-hmm. right or a wide open kj osborne Ooh. and so that that's a concern too is that if you're getting a guy for upside yeah why isn't he using it how how, how much sleep do you lose by not having practice all 22 oh my god <laughs> Oh my gosh! You can't ask me these because questions because you're like he checks down and there's a Mir Smith Marset wide open. <laughs> well, he may have been wide open. You know, you caught it at like right. Like yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got the yeah. God, how badly do you want to spend three hours on one play from a Tuesday <laughs> practice watching an Amir Smith Marset? Oh, uh, you nailed round? me. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of nerd I need uh, to be. Okay, yeah, I need, I need a favor. Um, um, I want to keep you until eleven. Is that possible? Uh, that, goes, that would be a little tough. Okay, let, let's uh, let's finish like this over the next five minutes. Uh, what do you think of Ty Chandler? Uh, because the 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 speedster from North Carolina by way of Tennessee, you know, I don't follow, I don't watch college football very often, mm-hmm. so I didn't even know who he was, but I knew he was fast. But then I get out there and start watching him like you do every day, and he's big. He's a lot bigger and thicker than I thought. What do you think of Ty Chandler? I think he's interesting. I think you know the Vikings have brought in a lot of running backs that are are, are really good uh, receiver potential candidates. He's a good receiver from the gate, right? If you want to incorporate a guy into your offense that can do some of the stuff Austin Eckler did early in his career, yep. or the Danny Woodhead role, 
Um, Ty Chandler has that capability. Plus, he can be a receiver downfield. It's pretty unusual for running backs. So I really like that from him. I think that's what the Vikings want Kenny Wongu to be. I think that's something that he can be. But from day one, you can actually ask Ty Chandler to do all those things, and he's pretty capable. So um, that, I think, is the reason that they invested a pick in him. Even though they've got three great running backs, it's going to be a reason that there's going to be a five-running back room. It's going to put pressure on the rest of the roster. Um, but, you know, it's pretty unusual. You go back to the Rams' history, they don't have five running back rooms. They've got right. four running back rooms, which is pretty substantial. But With no fullback. With no fullback, yeah. right. But now you've got C.J. Ham, who the Vikings won't stop talking about. Maybe it's because we won't stop asking. But right. won't stop talking about it. They're very excited about him. He's obviously making the team. There's no question about that. And we know that Wangu and Madison and Cook are core elements of the team. And it's a question about Ty Chandler. And I think that he'll make the team, not just because he's a draft pick, but because he's valuable. And He's fast, right? This is this is such a fast running back group. I think even Dalvin Cook looks faster than I'm used to seeing him. So this is incredible. Arif, Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan NFL. Hassan has, um, has one S, at Arif Hassan NFL, the Athletic, theathletic.com. Time for two more. Who, um, who right now, with the right to change the opinion in front of the Packers game, who do you make favored to return punts? Uh, Jalen Naylor. Heavily favored? Uh, for me, yes. Yeah. Uh, just, just the rest of that competition is... Is not ideal. Maybe Albert Wilson makes the rosters as a punt returner. That'd be nice. Amir Smith Marset, as much as I love him, is not handling the punt return duties very well in terms of practice. Uh, KJ Osborne is also a candidate there. Uh, I don't know that that's his best role. I know we should throw anything that happened as rookie yeah, year out of the window. I agree, so I, I, that's not what I'm. But that's just not his best role. He doesn't look natural. It just yeah, doesn't look as. It's, I, it's, I, we ain't looking for Dante Hall or Devin Hester. That'd be nice or main man Marcus. But the mechanical, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly, and and and, and he's and he, and he looks like a tense part returner. You never want right. that. You want somebody who's loose. So uh, the guys who look natural are Albert Wilson, Jalen Naylor, and Tommy Hennigan a little bit, uh, and I think it's Naylor. Uh, the bunch, lastly, the bunched sets on offense. Love it. And you've written about it, mm-hmm. and and you know I saw it, and I didn't think much about it. Then I read your piece at the athletic, theathletic.com, and started looking at it from a more critical standpoint, not like who's going up front. And then, you know, who are the bottom parts of the triangle and what they do? Mm -hmm. That'll play itself out when we watch back games. But with these bunch sets, what do you like about it? How how do you, what advantages do you think the Vikings offense can get by doing this? It forces the defense to declare, right? Because when you, when you got a bunch set out there, it's really difficult to be in man coverage. It forces them into zone coverage. The reason it's difficult to be in man coverage, so natural to get picks and rubs without doing anything illegal that'll catch the ref's eyes, right? And so you want to go into what's called a box zone or a banjo zone. Um, but that puts potentially four defenders on three receivers, and that opens up the guy on the other side. And the guy on the other side is usually going to be Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And so I, I really like that it creates an isolation. Um, you know, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey are why iso when when their respective teams go bunch, which means why is the tight end, mm-hmm. which means they get you know these interesting routes. But sometimes you get really good receivers. Calvin Johnson benefited from bunch sets back in Detroit when they would do those things. You know, it allows your receiver to get single coverage, the safety shaded away, and allows them to do things. And if they decide to stay in man coverage, punish them. Th- those are the th- and like you know we we talked a little bit about you know who's point and who's who's behind in the bunch. A lot of times the tight end is the point in these bunches. Yeah, he's a really great blocker. Why not run a screen there? Right. Yeah, which is envelope pushing, which I just guess these guys have some envelope pushing to them with yeah. the Mr. Back Judge, Mr. Official. We're going to put you in a spot to make a decision on the fly consistently as to whether you think we're cheating and setting legitimately uh, setting picks. I- I'm just fascinated by what's happening with these bunch sets and the two man stack and everything. Uh, your best 10 seconds on this. 
Bynum and or Seen, who do you think starts against Green Bay and why? Uh, I think it'll be seen. Uh, my mind has been changed the last two days about this. It's really difficult. Bynum's doing really well. Really great player. Did well in his starts, but Seen has all-world potential. You can do everything in the world with him. Mm. Love Bynum, but Seen has much more versatility. That's what you need against a player like yeah, Now, Now, Seen got a lot of the uh, one reps yesterday yeah. when I was out there. Is, is Has that happened just of late? Uh, primarily when Harrison Smith is taking a vet day, which is what happened yesterday. So that's what's happened. You're fantastic. Thank you very much for the information. Let's do this more often, and I'll talk to you soon. Love to be here. Uh, Arif Hassan, The Athletic, theathletic.com, News Do Nord around the corner. Work out. Brought to you by Canterbury's Card Casino. It is poker, blackjack, table games all year round. Just get to CanterburyPark.com for all event-related details. CanterburyPark.com. Number one. The Twins split their four-game series with the Blue Jays, culminating yesterday in extras. 3-2 the final score. And we can run through that. Twins, they got Kepler on base because of the ghost runner thing. Not able to tie it up in the bottom of the 10th. But there, of course, was the Sanchez blocking the plate, or wasn't he, controversy yesterday that led to an absolute volcanic eruption from the manager, Rocco Baldelli. And here he is after the game. He's still pissed. That play has not been called since the beginning of replay more than a couple of times. In all of baseball, the thousands and thousands of games and plays at home where the catcher actually does block the plate over and over and over again that play has virtually never been called and for someone to step in in that situation and ultimately make a decision that that was blocking the plate that's beyond embarrassing for our game for all the players out there on both sides of the field working their ass off for the entire game It's completely unacceptable. I can't even believe I'm sitting here talking to you guys about this right now. It's one of the worst moments I think we've seen of umpiring in any game I've ever been a part of in baseball. And I think it was pathetic what what just played out. And I could go on and on and on about this. The, The umpires on the field have nothing to do with it. They made a play on the field which is the right call, which every person in all of baseball, including the umpires, know is the proper call. And someone in New York decided that that was worthy of being overturned on the field. Rocco, he's mad as hell, and he's not going to take it anymore, unfortunately. I think that's one of the... That is one of the very best manager coach whatever diatribes that that I've ever heard. I mean that that was yeah that was AI that was that was Bubba Chuck esque we're talking about practice. I mean that that was really good. Yeah it's tough uh, in the moment when you when you're mic when you're micro analyzing it frame by frame by frame there is clearly a 50-50 argument in terms of was yeah. he blocking the plate? 
Was his motion in relation to the ball arriving or the player sliding? Mm-hmm. You can go back and forth on that all day long. But to his point, the fact that this t- type of thing is never overturned, virtually as he noted, yeah. uh, it's just a ridiculous moment in the overplay or the replay world uh, to come in over the top like that. And it sucks. And the Twins... Could have had an opportunity uh, to find themselves a 3-1 to one advantage in that series over the Blue Jays. Uh, they're still first in the Central, but now they have the day off today before they head to take the Dodgers on. Well, Hi, Mr. Allen. How are you doing today? That I was watching it live, and, and I, it was bang-bang with Whit Merrifield. Merrifield's slide was conducive to making the decision difficult for somebody thinking about overturning him. Yep. And I didn't know that live, but I read some stuff this morning. And he's a crafty veteran, used to play with the Royals, didn't lose all of his baseball-related soul with that team, so he clearly still knows how to play the game. When At the beginning of, of what you played from Rocco Baldelli is just because since replay was implemented, that has not been called, it doesn't mean... It's not the right call. Right. Okay. And and I like how you put it by saying that there's a lot of 50-50 to it. What what from what I understand, what really got Baldelli going, and I don't know which umpire said this to him, uh, but he had to be restrained, is I I believe when he asked for an explanation, and I and I've seen this before in the National Football League with sideline guy, back judge guy the other side of the field. You know, it's it's you, you can't say like, well, I don't know what the hell he's calling in a, in a, a hot. You can't do that. Right. OK. And I'm not saying that was done, but I do believe the response he got from the on field guys who called Merrifield out led to like I you know, the explanation or lack thereof is what got him going. Is I don't think it was properly laid out because the guy who was overturned probably wasn't happy he was overturned. Uh, one of them, if not both of them, are old school umpires. So now we're going to go back to uh, you know back uh, back when Tyrus Cobb was playing, and you know <laughs> it was it was Katie bar the door and hide the women and children that never even would have been considered. Well, then it's also an entity changing the call you can't talk to. Right. It, it's a replay that goes to Secaucus, New Jersey, whatever it is. And then as Rocco's walking off, camera's right on him, man. He looks up at the press box thinking the rubes are up there, and he goes, F off! <laughs> he just looked up at, yeah. at Lavelle, excuse me, at Gleam, and excuse me. He looked up at the uh, press box and just went, F off! <laughs> well, and you mentioned on the end, there, there are moments, and we've we've seen this happen a hundred times. And I do have this this article on a, illegal contact is going to be a focal point for referees in the twenty twenty two NFL season. But you'll have side judge guy that's right next to Mike Zimmer, and now it's going to be Kevin O'Connell, and Justin Jefferson runs a route to that side. Side judge does not call offensive pi right. Guy 35 yards away throws the flag, and now dude that was just merely getting the explanation in whatever the huddle is has to come back over near side. He had a better viewpoint than anybody, and he has to tell Mike Zimmer or Kevin O'Connell or anybody, yeah, I I don't know what he saw there. Yeah. 
bleep you! Yeah, that's that that inflamed. <laughs> oh yeah, that inflames rubes in a way where they go out of body. I mean, Rocco Baldelli went old schoolers will appreciate that. He went Earl Weaver on it. He threw the hat. Yeah, that's what he and and that's. That's what was thrown, but I mean, like, back in the day, Earl Weaver and whomever, now granted it was a little too showy, but they'd pick up bases and throw oh, it. Yeah. Lou Pinello would pick up bases and stuff. Well, one of my favorite things is just a sign of disrespect that kicking the dirt on home plate. Yeah. yeah stuff make, like that. Yeah, well, old people don't want to bend down, for, first and <laughs> foremost. Secondly, old people don't want to burn, uh, bend down and sweep. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... I And, and their little sweeping thing is like what the old schoolers used to use to put shaving cream on <laughs> when they go to a barber shop to get their straight edge on. Yeah. Jeez. Number two. Matt Rule, head coach, Carolina Panthers. Uh, the never-ending question down in Charlotte is the QB situation. Well, I'm not putting a timetable on the quarterback position. But at anything, even like you guys asked me about left tackle, until after we get from the Patriots week, I think the Patriots week is a like, true litmus test for us. Of, hey, where are we really? You know, We're going against another team. We're practicing. I think that'll really show us where guys are. Yeah, so Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. Uh, I, I saw something from Rappaport when I was trying to grab that audio on Darisaw earlier, and he said basically it's Baker Mayfield's job to lose down there. I suppose that makes sense. Uh, but they face Washington in their opening preseason game this next weekend, and as he mentioned, Patriots week would be that second preseason game. So it sounds like another week and change of uh, uh, determinations taking place down in Charlotte, but as Rappaport, I, I saw him uh, on social media, it is it feels like it's Baker's job to lose, Yeah, and I guess that's just how we move forward. Yeah, that um, with, with, with the Carolina Panthers, this is a massive, massive year for a lot of players. And a lot of coaches, I mean, it's just a massive year. And and for the GM who makes that Baker Mayfield move, you know, it's it's clearly, without saying it publicly and, and probably to Sam Darnold's face, it's an insinuation that we just don't want to move forward with you as our starting quarterback. This is kind of in the sassy vein of Kellen Mond, but Baker is better than Kellen, and quite honestly, it's not close. The, these preseason games and these regular season games coming up for Baker, I'm pulling for Baker, man. And and it's I don't know Baker. I know a lot about him, personality type-wise. And it's not, not my kind of guy, okay? And I'll just leave it at that. However, when, when what has happened to Mayfield where it's clear we no longer want you around and, and then you get to leave – that can be an eye-opening experience that goes one of two ways. Is are those who were fired, are they able to take a second and look in the mirror and have some contrition and recognize, I don't like this and it hurts, but you know what? In self-reflection mode, here are nine things on which I need to improve. Yeah. Uh, or you can bang your head against the wall with your narcissistic, selfish, greedy ways um, martyr, martyrdom be damned somebody else's fault absolutely and always point the finger at somebody else like I got screwed yeah uh, let's see what Baker does let's see how Baker handles it because Baker's gifted but he's not as gifted as Baker thinks Baker is um, and and they got some, they got some weapons down there I mean if they keep if they if they keep Christian McCaffrey healthy and and DJ Moore continues to develop then they got a nice little one two there with Baker uh, we'll see where it goes. The con! Number three. Jeez! Last thing for you, I, I did mention in, in terms of the uh, the illegal contact bit in the NFL. Oh. 
They have asked on-field officials, they is in the league, mm-hmm. to pay particular attention to illegal contact fouls during the 2022 season. This according to a league spokesperson earlier this morning. Is this the is this the Harry the Hitman bit with the leading with the helmet? No, this is, uh, this is, and I'm glad you asked this. Illegal contact refers to prohibited contact. It's basically, it's pass interference, but the QB's still got the ball, right? Mm-hmm. The, the five-yard grace period of physical contact. And then outside of that, then that's where it gets illegal. Yep. And getting handsy, grabbing, pulling those things. And the reason that uh, this is a focal point, officials, according to this article, flagged illegal contact an average of 97 times per season between 2002 and 2020. So 97 times. They only called 36 oh, last oh season. So something's up. So it's a point of clarification, yeah. also known as a point of emphasis Great. for the 2022 season. Cool. Sounds like four-hour games. Correct. Well, that's yes. awesome. No, absolutely. Hey, more football, uh, the better, right? When in doubt, micromanage more. Into the final hour, we begin with Wobble Wobble, columnist for the Star Tribune, and he's ballyhooed. Uh, we'll chat with him. Uh, then after that, at the uh, beginning of the radio show, I made a detail about Kellen, Kelsey, Kyle, and copycats. Uh, definitely we'll have time to get to the copycats portion of the equation today. And uh, then after that, uh, continue to chat some football and uh, about life and uh, the world of sporting activity. And it's what we do here at FM 100.3 KFAN. This is 9 to Noon. That was News Du Nord, executed by the Khan.